0: with emotions and emotion regulation skills, there are two parts to it. There's how you feel internally, that emotion that you're feeling, the thoughts, the, the feelings that you're having, but then there's that external part, the behavior. How are you exhibiting or kind of showing that anger? How are you showing that frustration? What's the external part of it? It's like that with our kids and it's
1: like that with us. There is no shortage of parenting advice out there. But it can be hard to know how to customize generic tips and convert scripts into your own words so that they actually land with your kid. That's why it's so important to understand why psychologists and scientists and therapists suggest the strategies that they do so you can adapt them to fit into whatever situation you're finding yourself in. Today, I am so thrilled to have my dear friend and the founder of Curious Neuron, Dr. Cindy Hubington, joining me again on the podcast. Along with being a mom of three, Cindy has a doctorate in neuroscience from McGill University. She's the co founder of WonderGrade, which is an amazing app. And she's the host of the Curious Neuron podcast, which I was just a guest on yesterday. So definitely go check out that episode too. It was a great conversation. And I just can't wait for you to hear my talk with Cindy. But before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a quick favor. I want you to think of three parents in your life, friends, coworkers, family members, three parents, and share this episode with them. It is so important to me that these supportive resources get into the hands of more parents. Because while there is an overwhelming amount of stuff aimed at helping parents, it isn't always helpful. And a lot of it can leave parents feeling confused and frustrated and guilty. So I would be so grateful if you could send off a quick DM or a text to one of your mom or dad friends and help me to get this scientifically accurate and shame-free info out to more parents just like you. Power struggles in parenting can be a real challenge, but they don't have to be a constant source of friction and frustration. There is still time to watch a replay of my full masterclass in Q&A, From Battles to Bonding, Overcoming Power Struggles, where you're going to learn precisely why the parenting strategies that you're using to either avoid or win a power struggle just aren't working and why they likely never will the real problem that leads to power struggles in the first place and how to break out of this trap. My exact framework for mapping out your child's challenging behaviors and how to create a personalized toolbox for your unique child and the specific power struggles that you find yourself in over and over again. So if you are looking for strategies to increase your child's cooperation decrease the number of times you hear the word no, and finally feel like you're nailing this whole parenting thing, even when it's messy, go to drsarahbrenn.com forward slash power struggles to watch this free masterclass. That's com forward slash power struggles. But hurry, this event replay will only be available through October 2nd. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy-to-understand and actionable parenting insights, so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, friends. I am super, super pumped because we have a very special return guest today, Dr. Cindy Huffington. Thank you for being here. Hi. I'm so happy to be back. I We just had an awesome chat a couple of days ago. I recorded a show for your, epi- your podcast. I'm super excited that you're here on Securely Attached because whenever I want to give parents like the neuroscience breakdown of like behaviors and emotions. Like you are one of the first people I think of to help <laughs> explain it because one, you know it backwards and forwards, but also you explain it in a really, really easy to understand way. So let's, let's dive in. Cause I'm like super excited, but I, I really wanted to be talking today because I get this question all the time and I, I'm curious if you do also, but like parents are always like, I'm doing the thing. I'm doing all the things that you guys on Instagram or all the psychologists say to do, right? Hmm. I'm naming the feelings. I'm validating. I'm, I'm trying to co-regulate with my kid. I'm trying to help them feel better. I, I, it doesn't work for my kid. Like, is there something wrong with my kid? Is there something wrong with the way I parent? Like what's up? And like, do you get that question a lot too? So literally this morning I was at the park with my
0: kids and this mom that I've seen a couple of times, she knows what I do. She came up and asked me that exact question. It's not universe aligned. And it helped (laughs) me because I was able to kind of give her a a response knowing that we were going to have this conversation today. And I realized that it's such a common question. And she had the exact same thoughts as she had the exact same thoughts about what you just said, like, am I doing something wrong? Am I messing up my child? Because she was also mm. losing it very often now because she tried so many things. And basically, just to give context so that we can work around this sort of situation is she's a mom with a six-year-old. And out of nowhere this year, nose became like a big thing. As soon as she would say no to something he would, you know, um, start screaming and crying and be upset, and then whatever she would ask him to do after that, forget it. He wouldn't do it. He didn't want to follow. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to, you know, do whatever she asked him. And she had a lot of trouble getting him back. And she said that she started off by being calm and and trying to tell him, like, take a deep breath. I see you're getting mad. And she goes, I validated his emotion, but like nothing changed. So she said she flipped i I'm going to ignore you and I'm not going to speak to you when you speak to me that way. So she went back and forth and she said, but I've done both sides. I've done the, you know, trying to be like stern with him. And I've also done the calm and I'm here for you. Nothing worked. And she's like, what am I doing wrong? So I think this is really good to start off our conversation because the first thing I asked her was, you know, where, like when he's completely upset, he's fully dysregulated. And that's where we started our conversation. Mm hmm sometimes as parents, we forget that when that child, I, I picture like a mountain and there's that rise to the tip of the mountain where they're starting to get dysregulated. And we, I think we spoke about that last time, but like that rise is when you have a moment to kind of stop them from going up to the tip, to the top of that mountain. And if you miss it, because it's very short and it's quick, then they're at the top of the mountain, they're fully dysregulated. They can't hear you really. I, I say it, I mean, they could hear you, but they're not really hearing what you're saying. And they're, they're, you have to kind of wait it out. What we want to do is kind of wait for them to be coming down that descent of that mountain to start speaking to them again and to help them. And what she hadn't realized is she was saying things like, well, I'm not going to help. I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak to you when you're this way. And he would say, you're so mean. He would yell at her and, I tried to change a bit of the language she was using saying, I want to help you right now, but I can't because you can't hear me. You're screaming, you're crying. I want to help you, but I can't, you know, like I'm trying, but I I just Mm -hmm. can't can't hear me. So she hadn't realized that part of like, when Mm -hmm. is the time to, say certain things and to offer tools it's not when they're dysregulated so that's the one thing but the two really big parts that were like a moment where she was like oh i had never thought about that was the environment before Mm -hmm. everything happens and also cognitive skills i think that we just don't talk about cognitive skills enough we don't talk about the fact that there are cognitive skills involved in emotion regulation skills so it's not simply about telling our kids hey, these are the X amount of emotions, you know, learn these 10 different emotions and my child can label them. Sure. That's a part of it, but it's a small part because if they are very impulsive and they can't control certain impulses or they haven't developed executive function skills where there's problem solving involved and memory involved. And part of that is attention. And if part of attention is inhibiting incoming information. So all of these cognitive skills have a role in emotion regulation skills. And if we do not think about those and don't train those skills in our kids, then they're still going to struggle with emotions. So it's not just about
1: the emotions in short. Yeah, But like, so what I'm hearing you say, like I'm picturing in my mind, sort of these, these like pieces of a puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. It's, there's what we see in front of us when our kid is dysregulated. And I want to come back to that term because I want you to define it. in case parents are like, wait, You jumped in in the middle. Like, what is dysregulation? Yeah. But let's put a pin in that. Mm Because first, we're looking at like what we see in front of us in the moment when our kid is dysregulated. And there are specific tools that work in that moment, right? As they're climbing that descent or they're at the peak of that mountain, we've got a window there. And there are tools that work in that window and tools that don't work in that window. Right. But then I'm also hearing you talk about before we've even gotten to the mountain, right? That's that environment piece. Right. And the kind of the, in between all the mountains in general, building skills, cognitive Mm -hmm. skills, executive function skills, regulation skills, that these are things that are what we do when we're nowhere near a mountain. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. In the valley. So first let's talk about dysregulation Quick and dirty brain science. Like, how would you explain this to a parent who's never heard this term before? Yeah, so I I just I, I like to look at it as
0: fully regulated means you are focused. There's a cognitive aspect to being regulated. Your nervous system is calm. It's not in alert. It's not ready to fight or flight or freeze or anything. It's just very calm. And your nervous system is. It's not about just being relaxed, but you're attentive, you're focused, and you're regulated. When you are dysregulated, your system is ready to—it's stressed first of all. There's stress on the system, and it's ready to do whatever it needs to do: run away from a bear, right? Like it's ready to 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 run away if it has to, or do something. You're on your toes, and that might look like um, excitement. It might look like anger, right? It might look like—it's not a, a specific emotion. It's just that your system is off in that moment and you could explode, right? There are different levels. You and I had spoken about this on my podcast where you had like a scale, right? You had to kind of rate yourself one to 10. I like to bring it down into like color zones for parents so that they can explain Mm -hmm. this to their child as well. You know, green in that regulation meter, green, yellow, red green is when you're focused and calm and able to have, you know, conversations, able to manage your emotions which is the emotion regulation part. As you are slightly dysregulated, going into that yellow zone, you're slightly not focused, like you're starting to lose your your focus and your ability to pay attention. Um, and you might lose control of your emotions. There's a better chance that you lose control and that emotion, dysregulation comes in. And then when you're in the red zone, I mean, your child could say something and you explode on them, right? You're like not anywhere able to control the impulses of wanting to say something or do something. And that's to me, like how I try to talk to parents about it so that we can understand what it looks like because you know, with emotions and emotion regulation skills, it, there are two parts to it. There's how you feel internally, that emotion that you're feeling, the thoughts, the, the feelings that you're having, but then there's that external part, the behavior. How are you exhibiting or kind of showing that anger? How are you showing that frustration? What's the external part of it? It's like that with our kids and it's like that with
1: us. Yeah, that's such an important point because I think we talk about dysregulation and, and we could switch, right? We can be talking about a child's regulation and we can just as easily be talking about the adult's regulation. Like when your mom in the park, you know, her son is getting dysregulated when she's asking him to do something and he doesn't want to do it. He's getting mad and he's getting dysregulated. And then his defiance in that moment, his pushback in the, as his external expression of his anger. Right is dysregulating for the mom in that situation. And she's going to, fine, I'm going to not listen to you. I'm going to get mad at you. I'm going to, now I'm dysregulated, right? Right. I'm in a state of threat. And it's not like good or bad, right? Dysregulation isn't good or bad. It's a, it's a threat response. It's, Hmm. it's a really natural and sort of organic thing that we all experience. The piece that I think that's most important in terms of in, in in parenting as the adult, the most important thing I think that comes with regulation and dysregulation is the awareness piece. Right, I'm going to get dysregulated, but can I notice that it's happening? Right, exactly. Because if I don't notice that it's happening, I really won't be able to do much about it until we've all kind of moved all the way to the other side of the mountain. <laughs> But if I can notice it's happening as we're climbing, I might be able to like reverse course. Right. Exactly.
0: Because if you're both at the peak of that mountain, (laughs) right? Both of your brains are not really focused and thinking through what you need to do or say. So what's the point? One person has to come down that mountain or else it's, it's a struggle, right? It's Mm -hmm. that fighting fire with fire kind of thing. You can't do that. And not it's just that you not that you can't do it but it's it's harder so you need to be as the parent you have to try your best to regulate yourself first so that you can assist your child in coming down that mountain a little bit and starting the descent but sometimes you can you can't help them especially with young kids she was asking you know is it bad for me to ignore my child i don't it's not it's not about ignoring you can validate their emotions and say i'm going to wait for you you know to to be calmer because i do want to help you you can use that language And you're not ignoring them. You're just stepping back because sometimes there's nothing we can do in that moment. Even for us, right? Like even as adults, we can have a conversation, not a conversation, but we can have an argument with our partner and we don't want to talk to them in that moment, right? It's like, let me calm down first and then I'll come back because I'll have a calmer mind and I'll be able to think about what I say rather than just like react to what's Mm -hmm. happening. I want to respond. And it's the same thing with our kids. If we can actually take that pause in that moment, to respond to our child, we're we're more regulated rather than reacting. We're going to help them as they come down that mountain. We'll be able to assist them a lot more.
1: Yeah. And you know, something else that you were talking about with this mom and her question and why I even wanted to do this podcast episode in the first place is because I feel like one of the most like triggering things for pushing parents into a state of dysregulation is that frustration that comes with thinking, oh my God, I am doing everything that everybody tells me to do. I'm following the rules. This is supposed to be working Mm -hmm. and it's not. And so I keep doing this same thing over and over and over. Or maybe I'm like the mom you were describing. I'm trying this and then I'm abandoning it. And I'm trying this and I'm abandoning it. I'm Mm -hmm. trying this. Like I'm just kind of like grasping at straws, trying everything. And actually, if we really zoom out from that strategy, we might find that it's the co- inconsistency that might be a variable there that in in decreasing the effectiveness of all of those different strategies right right but the frustration that comes with feeling as though like it makes me think of like putting together IKEA furniture. Like <laughs> I'm following the instructions. I can't put and it I'm together. doing all the things, but it's just not like this thing does not look like what it's like lopsided. It's not working. It's falling apart. Like that's the feeling I feel like most parents have when they're like quote <laughs> following the instructions and it's not working for their kid. And that frustration is a huge vulnerability to becoming dysregulated whenever your kid kind of gets set off. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I give up on Ikea
0: furniture. I never finish it. <laughs> or there's like something missing. <laughs> I, I end up with one thing left in my hands and I'm not supposed to have anything left. Right. I'm like, oh, what happened? Right. But and how,
1: how, how easy is it to pick a fight with your spouse after trying to put Ikea furniture together, right? Like it increases our vulnerability. Right. When yeah. we're doing something that feels like it should be easier than it is in our mind yeah. and we're having that thought that interpretation, what the hell is wrong with this, with my kid, with this strategy, with me, with parenting, like those thoughts trigger hugely volatile emotions inside of us really understandably. But that really makes us vulnerable to being more reactive in our own behaviors with our kids, in the way we speak to them, in the way that we act around them. And that actually can model for them low frustration tolerance too. Mm -hmm. It's not modeling regulation skills. So it's like, we can create a bit of a hole. And I say this not to be like, you know, I don't want to make parents sort of like overwhelmed, but I definitely think if you're feeling this, like if you're like nodding along to what Cindy and I are saying, like my best advice is to, like, first of all, just put a hand on your chest and say, I'm doing a good enough job, Mm -hmm. but then zoom out. Yes. And like, look at, okay, why might these strategies not be working for my kid in this moment? What's happening? Are they regulated enough to receive these tools? Let's focus on that word
0: zoom out, like that term, right? Zooming out. I love that because this is what I try to tell parents. So zoom up, let's zoom away f- super, like a really far away from that mountain. They're not having a meltdown right now. It's a, it's a regular day. What does that look like in your home? Right? Not anywhere close to being dysregulated or, or having big emotions. What I like to tell parents is like, before all of this happens, zoom into your child and their abilities and skills. Right? So we've spoke about cognitive skills. Are they struggling with impulse? Are they struggling with staying focused? Are they struggling with you giving them, depending on their age, let's say we're talking about kids six or under, um, following one to maybe two, if they're closer to six rules of like, go do this, like go take this, bring it into your room and whatever it is, put it away. Something like very simple or, um, set the dish, uh, set the table and then don't forget to take the milk out of the fridge. Two rules that fall within their executive function skills, something they're able to follow. So those are the the executive function skills, then there's the impulse, and then there's the ability to focus. If you already notice that your child is struggling with one of these three, there are things that we can do to help them with that, right? So if they're struggling with following rules and you've noticed that during routines, whether it's the morning or nighttime, that they they forget like they're never brushing their teeth they're forgetting you have to keep reminding them what can you do to support that development of that cognitive skill in particular right there's the harvard um develop I, if you search harvard and executive functions they have this huge pdf of how to teach your child executive function skills from zero literally 6 months actually till i think early teens and there are like when they're very small, like two or three years old songs that repeat themselves, right? That have some sort of pattern that a child remembers. Um, once they're a little bit older, go fish, like games, card games, where they have to remember the pattern or where to, what's the rule of this game? Simple, easy games. Um, As they're getting closer to the age of six, there are games like Simon Says, or when they're younger, even those freeze games, you know, like uh, musical chairs, or those are all games that develop executive function skills. There are tests or psychology tests, right? Like the night and day task where you show a child a picture of a moon. Is it a picture of a day? Anyways, it's a picture of a nighttime, like a moon. And they have to say day. So whenever you show them the night, they have to say day. And when you show them day, they have to say night. This is part of like inhibition. Your brain naturally wants to say daytime when they see the, when you see the picture of the sun, but but you have to remember that the rule was the opposite. So you're inhibiting your brain from saying what it wants to say. There, you can do that with anything. I would play this with my kids and take like two colored, you know, markers, and you'd have to say blue when you saw red and red when you saw blue. It's not an easy thing to do, mm-hmm. but there are games that we can play with our kids, and they're exact. They're, they're games that build on executive function skills and inhibition skills, focusing skills. You know, um, coloring together, and and a lot of parents will tell me my one-year-old or two-year-old can't focus more than like a minute. I'm like, that's great. Mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> we, we forget. Like, I think as parents, sometimes we need our young kids to focus a half hour <laughs> because <laughs> we need that half hour for whatever it is. But we actually, you know, I don't, we, we, I remember during my studies, we had done a bit of research to find like some sort of, I don't know if you've seen like a, a, an equation that there isn't a the set equation, but we had used as like a, a kind of blueprint, you look at your child's age. So let's say they're two years old and you add about five minutes to that time. So let's say two years old is two minutes plus five minutes. That's the, if they can do that, that's super good. I I don't know if there's an actual definition to how long a child should stay focused, but it's much shorter than what we imagine it to be. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like literally three to five minutes plus their age in minutes. It's,
1: it's small. It's little. And and another thing that we have to remember is just to throw in a more a, like a complexity wrench in this is hmm. that your child's focus or their access to their executive functioning skills or their ability to inhibit an impulse. These are all things that are housed in the prefrontal cortex. Hmm. And we know... If you've been listening to this podcast, you definitely know this. But if you haven't, let me explain. The prefrontal cortex is like our thinking brain. It's the part behind our forehead. And there's another part of our brain called the amygdala, which is in the middle back part of our brain Mm -hmm. that's like our threat detector. Mm -hmm. And it pulls a fire alarm if it perceives a threat. And when it pulls that fire alarm, the prefrontal cortex, the thinking brain, goes offline. And so these are skills that are, yes, they're like, Going to be built over time. Like the prefrontal cortex is like not done developing till 26. Exactly. So, like a two year old's prefrontal cortex on a great day (laughs) when they are like firing on all cylinders is still not necessarily reliably always going to have that's the, you know, a two year old's prefrontal cortex being fully on is going to give them that seven minutes of focus, Mm -hmm. right? That's their maximum. Max. But their (laughs) minimum is directly related. To the amygdala activity, mm-hmm. right, if if they are in a threat response, mm-hmm. that seven minutes that you might be able to get That's a focus sure. is completely inaccessible, and mm-hmm. it drops down to zero. Yep. Now, if they're, like you said, in that yellow zone, to mm-hmm. mix metaphors, yep. in that sort of low level, sort of subtle fight or flight, then okay, you might get two minutes, sure. you might get three, yeah. but you're not going to get seven. And I think this is, goes back to that feeling of frustration in parents as they sort of say, mm-hmm. I know my kid can do this. I've seen them do this. So why aren't they doing it now? They must be choosing not to do it. They must be defying. Yeah. Me. They must be, mm-hmm. you know, intentionally not listening to my instructions mm-hmm. when in fact they very well might be you know, not able to access those skills because those skills live in a part of the brain that goes offline really, really easily whenever the brain or the nervous system is stressed. Yeah, exactly. And, you know,
0: it's in the same thing you just spoke about, like attention, but the same thing applies for the, any of these skills, right? Cognitive skills, inhibition, impulse. So, as soon as they feel threatened and we don't even see it, we and I had spoken about how we might not recognize it in our own bodies as adults, right? Like those little micro moments. Well, they might have those too. So, if your child is coming back from preschool or daycare, then let's say there was a lot of noise and they feel dysregulated because part of that dysregulation also comes from the thalamus and the senses that come into, that's the information coming into our brain as well. Mm -hmm. And that part of our brain also is connected to the amygdala, which is connected to the frontal. It's like this whole system, right? So Mm -hmm. if the child was around very elevated noise levels and comes home, you will not be able to tell right away that they're dysregulated, that their brain senses a threat when the threat was actually Lots of sound, right? Overstimulation, exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and now you're telling them, you know, uh, I don't know, do something, go get, I don't know, change your shoes or your do something, and they're 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 not listening to you, and you see it as a behavioral thing. When in essence, it's actually this regulation thing, and you need to find a way to bring their system down. So there's so much that we don't see that's affecting them and bringing them up that mountain all the way to the top when they're fully dysregulated and it's it's like them hearing a no after preschool or or daycare and you're like oh every time i say no like they don't hear me but what i asked the parent today she was kind of surprised because i said let's forget about this part the mountain part like i just want to zoom out and understand like what the environment looks like like what happens before is it something that you know, she was talking about clothing. Is there a particular item of clothing that makes them feel dysregulated, something tight, something uncomfortable, like my son, certain socks, forget it. He, would his behavior would change once he had those socks on. And you only mm-hmm. have, you have to zoom out. So once you're zooming out, like really away, like zooming out completely away from that mountain, you're looking at the child as an individual and saying, what skills and tools can I offer you? Or what is happening around you that might be dysregulating you? Like you as a human? Like what do you need from me? You know, like how can I help you? But right. part of that other piece that we haven't spoken about yet is the zooming out. Once I see my child, now I'm gonna start zooming out for my child. Who else is close to them? Well, a caregiver. Is it me? Is it a preschool educator or daycare educator or a teacher? a grandparent, who, who's in their environment and how is that person responding to that child's emotions? How are they modeling emotion regulation skills? And that's the conversation I had with that mom today. And she was like, I never thought about that, but my husband, he seems to be very similar to that son in particular, you know, they had two sons and she's like, I know I tell my husband, stop doing that. And it's not to point fingers or to blame, but what are we modeling as the, the next available person when you zoom out away from the child, what are we modeling? And how are we supporting that child's emotions? Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: one thing that really gets to me is like all these programs out there and systems that are like, we teach in our preschool, like all these like labeling emotions and like how to cope with emotions and deep breaths and yoga and whatever it is. But then they go home <laughs> and it might be completely dysregulated as a household. And, and perhaps that family hasn't really learned how to regulate their emotions not to point fingers and to blame it on the family, but it's to say, if we change as an environment, we will see or notice changes in our child as well. We just need to kind of work at this together. So we can't just keep, I find that we put the onus or the the all the responsibility on that child to learn emotion regulation skills when we have a really big responsibility as the people around like that child and how we model it. So we have to think about our child, the skills and the tools that they have zoom away from that and think about the skills and tools that we perhaps need to build in order to support our child's development for their emotions.
1: Yeah. I think that's so helpful to think of in terms of like, this isn't really about blaming. It's about like, what is our environment's skill level? And I don't mean like as a team of parents, are we? But like, how aware am I of my emotional reactions Mm -hmm. in front of my kid? That's a good place to start, Mm -hmm. right? But not just Emotions, right? Like, yes, obviously, if you have a family that's like got a lot of like dysregulated emotions, like maybe you've got parents who work at a really high stress job, they come home kind of grumpy and little things set them Mm -hmm. off. Like, yeah, we we want to look at how that might be impacting sort of the 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 collective emotional skill set of the family, because if parents aren't able to model it for kids. Kids aren't going to learn it from the parents. But a lot of times, you know, I work with a lot of families who are always trying to teach emotion regulation skills to their kids, almost like to the extent that we're, it's, you know, again, there's the people that are like, I'm doing all the things right, but it's not working right. A lot of times, I think one of the big gaps is not just focusing on emotions, And not just focusing on, quote, teaching. Right. True. Because that usually ends up kind of in real life looking like a lot of language, a lot Mm -hmm. of lecturing, a lot of reviewing things that are not going very well, oftentimes in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So, one, we want to, like, remember that, like, when our kids, even a little bit dysregulated, language probably isn't our first line of defense and not Mm -hmm. the best way to teach. True. Um, Modeling self-regulation, lowering our nervous system activation, our fight or flight response, Mm -hmm. doing that out loud, narrating that process that we go through out loud, helping show our child what a calm, safe, regulated nervous system looks like. Mm -hmm. And then recognizing that that might take a little bit of time to actually move your child out of a threat response themselves. Like sometimes I also think parents think, well, co-regulation is successful if it turns off my child's dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And that I think is a huge myth about co-regulation. Co-regulation just means I'm communicating safety to your amygdala with my safe regulated nervous system Mm -hmm your amygdala might take a while to actually turn off that fight or flight response and move the body successfully back into their sort of rest digest Mm -hmm. or the opposite of fight or flight, that parasympathetic nervous system response. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes parents actually may be very successfully co-regulating with their child in that they're starting that process in the, in their child's brain, but it doesn't immediate, it's not a light switch. It doesn't just turn off the dysregulation and bring them right back to a state of calm and cooperation. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. But the other thing that I'm thinking is like, it's not always about emotions. Sometimes it's about sensory stimulation and being your nervous system isn't always activated by emotional distress. Sometimes our nervous system is activated by sensory input Mm -hmm. that overloads our system. So that's where I think your point to the environment is really very useful as well beyond just parental emotion regulation. And, but like, how loud is our house? Mm -hmm. How tired are our kids after a day in the sun at summer camp? Um, How do your kids respond to like sensory input, like from touch, like are their clothes perhaps bugging them? Is there a tag that Mm -hmm. keeps itching their back in a way that makes them feel kind of uncomfortable? And then you have that all day long. Guess what? You're going to lose your mind after a while, right? (laughs) Are their shoes too tight? Like my kids' feet grow so Freaking fast! Their shoes are always too tight. (laughs) If my shoes were as tight as sometimes I can't, I like realize my kids. I'll be like, "Whoa, you!" And it's like not gradual; like they go through these like like growth leaps overnight. Yeah, overnight, and like they don't always, especially the really younger kids, can't always say like, "Hey, my shoes are too tight." All of a sudden, exactly. If my shoes were like too tight all day, I would be such a mean. Be of a person, I would be like <laughs> so grouchy. But it's true. We do need to think about that.
0: I think that sensory piece is such an important part. That's why this mom was kind of laughing because I kind of didn't even talk about the meltdown. I was like, let's just talk about what's happening in this child's environment. And she brought it back to the clothing and she's like, oh yeah, like it happens a lot during the morning. And a lot of, if you think of parents, they'll often talk about behavior happening like at the end of the day. And if I don't know about you, but even with myself, I am also dysregulated by the end of the day. I have three kids Mm -hmm. and by the end of the day, I've heard so many mommies (laughs) that just Uh hearing mommy (laughs) sometimes is like, okay, shh, nobody talk. (laughs) Nobody say my name. (laughs) Give me 10 minutes. It's like, there's a bluey episode where I think the mom takes like 20 minutes and she has to explain like, I need 20 minutes. You know, it's sometimes we need to regulate our system. So that awareness piece is almost what we want to focus on. That the being able to to regulate themselves will come, but can we teach them that awareness as well? That awareness piece of what does my body feel like? Like this mom in particular told me that she was getting so frustrated with this child's behavior that she was mimicking it. <laughs> I think with good intention, and, and she was like, "I'm so embarrassed that I'm telling you this." You know, sometimes. When I, when he says no to me, I start pretending to have like a meltdown like he does. And I get mad and I stop my feet and I clench my hands and I, you know, I close my jaw and I get mad. And I said, interesting, you just described to me all the external behaviors that he has when he's very mad. Does he know, is he aware that he does that when he's starting to feel mad? What comes first? Is it the clenching of his fist? Is it the jaw? Is it like the Mm. stomping of the feet? And she just sat, she stood there and she's like, huh? No, I, I don't know if he knows about it. I'm yeah. like, you see it, but he might not be aware of it. So can you bring that into his awareness? You don't have to mimic what he's doing, but when he's feeling that in his body, can you bring awareness to that and tell him when you feel this way, here's the game plan. Now you're sort of playing with what that ascent looks like. The how once they're starting to climb the mountain and they're aware of I just noticed I clenched my 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 fists, you know? And mm-hmm. honestly, even as an adult, so I I struggled a lot with my own emotions and mental health between my second and my third child. I ignored my mental health. And honestly, I went to the dentist and they told me, You're, you're, you're breaking your teeth. Are you? um grinding your teeth at night. I was like, I don't know, I don't think so. But I realized that I was doing it during the day because mm-hmm. I was getting so anxious and frustrated so often mm-hmm. with three young kids. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how to balance two and diapers and and I wasn't even aware that I was clenching my jaw so hard that like I was causing like lines or whatever the dentist said like she was able to see what I was doing inside my body like well mm-hmm. externally, right? So I was feeling frustrated, overwhelmed and angry. And ha- exhibiting that externalization of my emotions without even realizing. So that awareness piece. You're giving them so much information about their bodies and about their emotions that they might start understanding what it feels like to be angry, what it feels like to be frustrated might not be the same, what it feels like to be worried, putting your hand on your chest and realizing your heart rate's increasing. Yeah, I notice it now, you know, like little things to help them understand what that ascent looks like
1: for them because everybody is different. But you got, I think, I think one thing that's so important is you have to prime them for those kind of interventions mm. for them to be effective in the moment. If you have never talked to your kid about right. these, these behaviors and what they mean for them in calm moments. Mm-hmm. And when they're upset, um, you say, is your heart beating really fast? Right? They're going to yeah. like flip you the bird. Yeah, right? If Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that dentist had been sitting in your kitchen while your kids are screaming mommy at you. And it was, was like, are you clenching your teeth? You yeah. would have been like, get out of my kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Like get the hell out of my kitchen. <laughs> it's been so bad. Right? But because you were at the dentist yeah. and you were maybe, I don't know, not a lot of people are calm at the dentist, but for different reasons, but like, <laughs> but you're out of that setting, right? right? You are able to sort of say, hmm, I wonder if I am clenching yes. my teeth and when, and what is that? You're able to reflect on that mm-hmm. because you're regulated, right? You are mm-hmm. in a safe and regulated state importantly with our kids. And like, it's so interesting. Like I talk about right tools, wrong time a lot. And right. I feel like your mom in this example yeah. is really doing the right tools. Mm-hmm. She was at the wrong time mm-hmm. and not because of an intention, right? Like mm-hmm. she's just this, you're helping her recognize, build that awareness. But what what she is doing, I think, is trying to show her kid all these behaviors to help him build awareness of what he's doing when he's really mad and how it impacts the people around him right she's trying to show him Mm -hmm. in her own frustration while he is frustrated Mm -hmm. what that frustration looks like and feels like the problem is both of them are too hot to use that information productively Mm -hmm. but it's still the right tool it's just better better administered at a chill moment and then if you do that enough times in the calm moments when your child is upset you can say like hey if you get real close to a child who's really upset and you place a little hand on their heart very gently this is a kid you've primed for this right not mm-hmm. someone who's never ever experienced this intervention before but if you have a kid who's familiar with co-regulation and is familiar from calm conversations that their heart gets really fast when they're mad and you get close to them and say, hey, bud, can I put my hand right here? Mm -hmm. I think your heart, oh, wait, put your hand right here Mm -hmm. and put your hand over their hand and put their hand over their heart and say, do you notice that? Do you feel that heart beating so fast? Oh, yeah, you're really feeling it. (sighs) I'm not telling them to breathe. I'm just breathing. I'm modeling it, right? I have seen this work so many times with kids who, if you told them to check their breathing in the heat of the moment by going like, you know, in an, in a, if you were dysregulated, it would never, ever, ever land. So our regulation, our ability to prime them for some of these interventions in calm, connected moments and our, our regulation in the moment and our ability to bring their attention sort of safely and not in a threatening way to their s- signs and symptoms. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think bringing their awareness to physiological exactly signs rather than behavioral signs mm-hmm. are usually a safer place to go because we don't get as defensive about a racing heart than we do about, you just, you know... Threw this on the floor. You Mm -hmm. threw this on the floor and now it's broken, Mm -hmm. right? Versus, ooh, your heart's beating really fast. Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel good. Okay, yeah, I got it. You're very mad. Now, that's not going to land all the time. No,
0: and that's important to say that. Like, it's not, yeah, exactly. We're not going to hit, we're not going to be on the ball and get it right every single time because our level of this regulation will be different in every single moment. And so will theirs. There might be a day where they take that when you put you place your hand on their heart, they might accept it and say like, okay, because they weren't as dysregulated as maybe the day before, right? Like there's right. going to be a lot of, there, not every single emotional situation is the same. There isn't a copy of this. It's not as if every time they're angry, you can do the same thing. And it's important for us to say that because right. there's going to be angry on a scale of one to 10, a seven one day, there's going to be angry on a scale of one to 10. Maybe there are three that day. Right. And then how, how dysregulated are they in terms of like the environment and how are you that day? Like it's such a, there's so many variables.
1: That's why I think that parents are kind of sometimes, again, one of the reasons I think parents get so frustrated is because they're being sold sort of these sound bites, these scripts. And and the implication is that if you just do these scripts, everything should be fine. And what, and, and I mean, like, listen, I put scripts on Instagram too. Like, so but do I. Yeah, it's, it's so important. I feel so, so, so strongly that anybody who's putting out content to parenting better back that up with mm-hmm. some nuance, with some right. context, with yes. some explanation. Hey, this is not a blanket fix all and should be, you know, working every time. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with your strategy or your kid, mm-hmm. like scripts are good. Helpful, but frameworks are so much more useful because they allow you to tweak the variables. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They allow you to say, okay, I can read my child's sensory level right now. Mm -hmm. I can look at the environment that they're in. I can look at the sort of chronic environment within our home or within a school setting. I can look at how much have they slept (laughs) last night? How much have they gone since they last ate something? You know, what are my kids tells that they're moving up that dysregulation ladder? Cause I know my kids. So you're able to say, I can, sure. I have some scripts in my toolbox, but I also get really skilled at like knowing how to read my child's cues enough to know Mm -hmm. which skills to use when, right? Like I'm not gonna get a lot of success by putting my hand on my kid's chest if they're at a 10.
0: I'm gonna get my hand
1: smacked out of my you know. That's (laughs) that's you know, I know that. Mm -hmm. But if I do that when my kid is at a six or a seven climbing, I usually have a window there where I can get in there and 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 support that regulation in a more effective way. But I also recognize that if I get to them at a 10, I need, I have skills for that space too. They Mm -hmm. just don't look like the ones I would use at a seven or the ones I would use at a five. And the only
0: way to find that out is to do it, is to try it and to make mistakes and to place your hand on that Mm -hmm. child and to get your hand smacked or say, like, don't Mm -hmm. touch me. Like this mom was saying, sometimes I can't even speak to him. Like he yells back at me. He's not even hearing me say things like, I see that you're angry. She's like, why is it? I do you, you guys tell us to validate emotions, but he's yelling back at me and telling me to like, shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she said, sometimes I want to hug him. I'm, I'm like telling him I'm here for you. And he like pushes me away. So I think it's by doing it that you realize, okay, when my child is at a 10 for anger, I can't touch them. I can't go close to them. I can use my words when they're at a seven or I could use my, you know, I can hug them when they're at a five. You need Mm -hmm. to try it in order to start understanding your child. And honestly, I just turned 40 this year and it's been the past three years that I've been learning my own system and understanding it, even though it's something I've been teaching people. It's something that I've been understanding a little bit more in terms of, um, it was only after my third child that I realized how dysregulated I get by 4 pm, where noise levels have to come down, where light has to come down just a tiny bit, but like no TV at that time. For me, in my house, it, there's there's no screen at that time because I get dysregulated too easily. So it's really important for us to also know, like, what dysregulates ourselves. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot that plays into it. And it's like you said, that framework allows you to remember just how many variables there are to that child being dysregulated, and having big emotions and being at the top of the mountain. It's not just an easy up, (laughs) like, oh, anger top of the mountain. Cool. Here you say this and they come down and it's done. It's not like right. that. And I think wouldn't that's it why, nice. sorry, <laughs> it was that, as it wouldn't it be nice if it was that, right? Easy. Wouldn't it? But I think that's why we struggle too as parents is because we are given this like perfect script sometimes online and it's like, Oh, cool. The next time my child is angry or Feels worried. I'm just going to say this, and everything will be fine. But not only is not only are there so many variables, but it also takes so much time to train that. You know, I was talking to a physiotherapist this week, and she was saying, like, you know, if you're doing an exercise and this happened, you, you expect like three months, three to four months before you see a, a result. It's not any different with our child's brain. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to be overnight, right? Like why would I expect my bicep to get all like toned in like in like 3 or 4 months but not my child's brain? Like what it doesn't work? So right. I think we need to be realistic about that.
1: Yes, I think that's super important. So having realistic expectations about how long this learning might take, understanding that learning really is dependent on the Thinking brain or the prefrontal cortex being online, which is directly dependent on that, like sense of safety and security, and not in a threat response. Mm-hmm. Thinking about building our kids' skills outside of the heat of the moment, cognitive um, skills. their cognitive skills, their executive functioning skills, their emotion regulation skills, but also, and I'm just now thinking of this because of what you just mentioned with like you thinking about your own stuff like your own sensitivities and how your regulation fits into your kids regulation Mm -hmm. is like a hot light bulb moment for a lot of parents. We're all a connected family system. I often like use the metaphor of like a spider web when I talk about working with kids in therapy, because I'm always encouraging parents who want their child to be seen at our group practice, you know, for individual child therapy. And I'm like, wonderful, but you're going to be super involved. Um, because the way I explain it is like the family Mm -hmm. is like a spider web. If you pull one thread, the whole thing moves. Your child's regulation, your child's behaviors, your child's, the way that you're going to approach discipline in your family, Mm -hmm. it really can't be seen as isolated from the Mm -hmm. family system. Mm -hmm. Because if you want your child's behaviors to shift You're going to have to look at how the entire family responds to and sets your child up for certain behaviors, you know, regulated ones or not so regulated. And so, you know, I think, yes, we need to give parents a realistic understanding of like, this is like a lot of work. It's not easy. I don't, I definitely do not want people to walk away from this thinking like, there's a quick fix. Right. Because there Sorry. isn't. But I also don't want people to think it's so complicated and so impossible to do. It's not. It's, it's it's like if I could give parents like a roadmap, which I'm very, very, very dedicated to trying to do, the roadmap itself is not complicated. It's just, I think parents are overcomplicating it because they're trying to do things that aren't working. Mm-hmm. And then they're jumping to the next thing and it's not working and they're jumping to the next thing and it's not working, which gets that inconsistency, it exhausts us. Yeah. But ultimately you probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have an amazing toolbox. Mm. And if you feel frustrated that those tools aren't working, before you dump out that toolbox and try to fill it with other tools, I would say like, let's actually just make sure you know how to map out your kid's actual like brain and body map, which is Mm -hmm. something I like teach parents. I have a course that I've like, I've rented as a group in my private practice for a number of times with families of like parents of two to seven year olds that specifically like helps them map out their unique child's like brain and body map, Mm -hmm. understanding their own child's like regulation Mm -hmm. scale, their regulation scale And then give them tools to like actually use the tools that work for their kid at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting, I'm about to launch it as like an actual program that anyone can do outside of my private practice, because I feel like I just want to make this information more accessible. Like, Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to just be like in my local, you know, neighborhood to be able to get this. Like, (laughs) so... For the first time ever, I'm about to open it up to the whole, like, world. Like, anybody who wants to do it can do it now because I just find that this information is hard to come by. There's tons of information on what to do. Right. But there Mm -hmm. is not a lot of information or, like, hand-holding of, like, personalizing this to your actual child. Like, to actually get guidance on how do you implement these tools If I am doing it and it's not working, why might that be before I just jump ship and try a different set Mm -hmm. of tools altogether? Like, Mm -hmm. so that's what I'm trying to do with this, this program. So I'm hoping that it's helpful for parents because I just feel like they're so good and they think they're so bad and it's so heartbreaking because these kids are like, every single kid I've ever worked with in my private practice is a fantastic kid. And their parents know that and Mm -hmm. they get so frustrated when like they can't connect with that part of their kid Mm -hmm. because it gets hidden by all of this like messy dysregulation and messy irritation and frustration. And, you know, I think when we can help parents get more like tuned into reading their kids cues Mm -hmm. and they hone their skills just a little bit and they figure out like when to use them in the right way, Mm -hmm. like that kid that's so amazing is out more mm-hmm. and everybody just feels better. And
0: and I think like that, coming back to that mom that I met today at the park, she was saying like, the first thing she said to me is like, am I messing up my child? So it's either like you're not connecting with your child, like you were just saying, or this like feeling that like, what if I mess them up? Like, what, what am I doing that's yeah. really going to mess everything up? And I, I hope parents realize that like you're, what the work you're doing is so important. And I think so many parents can connect with that because we all feel like, okay, we've done everything. Now what? Like we do need that framework. We need to know, like, it's kind of like that flow chart that you could picture in your head. I did this, that didn't work. And it's not about changing the whole thing. It's about tweaking certain variables and trying to understand
1: that child. So it's really important for parents to know that. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you came on. I always like love our chats so much. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you. I, I I think this is uh, an important, you know, again, topic for parents because I don't want parents to feel like they're failing. Even this mom that I met, she wasn't failing at anything. She was just putting certain things at the wrong place. And now she has a different perspective. And when you have a different lens over this situation, she felt empowered. She didn't feel like she messed up by the end of our conversation. That's always my goal. Uh-huh, my yeah. personal goal because I'm a mom, I know it. I I don't want parents to feel like after they hear this conversation or any of these conversations around emotions, like, oh no, I messed up my child. I don't want Mm -hmm. you to feel that. I want you to feel like, oh, I hadn't realized that, or I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Instead of modeling how to stomp your feet, I'm going to model what to do when you feel angry, you know, like just Mm -hmm. different ways of looking at it. You are your child's best teacher. You're, you're going to fix this. You're going to help them. And it's, not even actually, not even about fixing. It's just giving them the right tools to make it easier for them.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think I fully agree with that. If people want to know more about the work you do or get in touch with you, or look up your app, your awesome app, you should you should yeah. mention. Um, yeah. <laughs> how can they find you? Thank you. So, yes, I'm
0: so I'm the founder of Curious Neuron. They can visit curiousneuron.com. I do have a podcast as well. I focus more on the emotion part. Um, you know, what does it look like to be your child's, you know, emotional intelligence kind of coach in a sense? Like, what do you need to learn yourself and how do you teach this to your child? Um, on Instagram, it's curious underscore neuron, and I am the co-founder of the app uh, Wonder WonderGrade. And basically what we're doing is we're taking all of these skills and tools that you and I were talking about and putting it on the app so that it's easy. It's at a parent's fingertips. And what we're building right now, and I'm really excited, it's it's coming out in a couple weeks, not right away though, but um, cognitive skills. Nobody talks about the importance of these cognitive skills. So there are ways that we can train this and there are games that a child could play to help develop these cognitive skills that will actually impact their emotion regulation skills. So that's something I'm really passionate
1: about. Ugh, I love it. I love it. Well, come back again soon. Thank and you. I will put a link to all that in the show description and the show notes because um, we just recorded another episode together on your podcast. So if you guys don't listen to Curious Neuron, like go, go get on that podcast <laughs> page you. and subscribe because it's such a good podcast. And I think I have two episodes with you now. So like should we should just have like a running like library of episodes that we do together.
0: I told you, I love every, like we started a Saturday together and I was like, just calm the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I should talk to you every Saturday morning. (laughs) I love that. That could be a fantastic
1: way for us to start our Saturdays. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, there's still time to watch my free masterclass From Battles to Bonding to learn strategies for tackling one of the biggest challenges parents of young children face, power struggles. So if you feel like you're constantly flip-flopping between being too strict or too lenient, if you're wishing your child would just cooperate without you having to ask them to do something a million times, or worrying whether every fight you might have could be harming your child's mental health or their relationship with you, then this free masterclass will be just what you need to put your mind at ease. I will help you decode the underlying causes of these daily battles, wills. I'm gonna guide you through building a toolbox specifically designed to tackle power struggles. And I'm gonna teach you exactly how to break free from this frustrating cycle. And it's not the way you might think. So just imagine the relief of no longer engaging in daily power struggles. If you want to try it, Go to drsarahbrenn.com forward slash power struggles to get started in shifting towards more ease and harmony in your home with your kid. That's drsarahbrenn.com forward slash power struggles. But hurry, because access to this masterclass will only be available through October 2nd. So don't wait. Thanks for listening, and don't be a stranger.